You are listening to the Wealth Without Bay Street podcast, a Canadian guide to building dependable wealth. Join your hosts, Richard Canfield and Jason Lowe, as they unlock the secrets to creating financial peace of mind in an uncertain world. Discover the strategies and mindsets to a financial future that you can bank on. Get our simple seven-step guide to becoming your own banker. It's easy. Head over to sevensteps.ca and learn exactly the learning process required for you to implement this amazing strategy into your financial life. That's sevensteps.ca. How on earth do you go about splitting income with your spouse? Everyone wants to know. The rules keep changing. It seems to be a, a myriad of complication to see how you might be able to get some advantage on your taxes. Well, I'm joined together with my good friend, Dan Allen. We're going to talk a little bit about this idea of income splitting, and he's going to walk through some personal examples as someone who's been around the block for a while. He's gone through the experience of many different uh, governments, many different tax environments. And so he has this incredible breadth of knowledge that he's going to bring into a great conversation we're going to have about it today. And I'm excited, Dan. I'm excited about this topic. I think it's uh, it's timely for us to be doing it. Now, at the time of this recording, we're, we're, we're approaching Christmas of 2023, so th- this actually might be released into the new year. And of course, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, there's some big tax changes coming in 2024. So we're not going to be spending a lot of time on that here today, uh, but we're just going to talk about the general aspects of income splitting and some ways to maybe a- accomplish it in your life and some ways of thinking about it. And uh, more importantly, we're going to talk about some stories on how it's even worked, you know, for, for an example, for Dan and his wife in the past. So anyway, it's going to be a lot of fun and I'm excited, Dan. Let's uh, Let's dig in. Let's do that. Yeah. And it's, it is one of those things that, you know, as I think about it and I go, you know, today we're going to talk about a few tax qualified plans. And, you know, when I think about Nelson, what his thoughts were around those, and we, he, you know, he, if he was here, he might kick us right out of this organization, but I'm going to talk about them just because they're there and they're real and because I use them. So one of the things I found in life before I knew about infinite banking is I was using the, you know, the, the tools that were there available to me to help reduce my, you know, T4 income. So I was a high, high T4 income earner and, and all through, you know, the, the time that my wife and I have been together, she's always been the lower income earner because a lot of the times she was, uh, she was spending time with our children, trying to, you know, create them into people that are going to make a difference in this world. So uh, that's just been our experience. So I've got a few experiences. I thought I'd share some, with everybody today. So no no gonna... better way to learn other than through experience. That's my, that's why. And I agree, you know, yeah, Nelson might want to kick us out, but I think he yeah. would, I think he would recognize the, uh, the, the, the mindset of sharing a journey and, a, and stories along the path. And ultimately that's how we learn best. And he was a master at that. And Dan, you know, you're a, uh, you're a pretty sharp cookie. So I appreciate uh, when I get to, to learn from you and your experience as well. Yeah. So we'll, uh, I'll try to get my, screen my uh, sharing stuff going here and we'll have a look at what i got going on today so uh, how's that for a bright shiny picture <laughs> well it's a lot of a lot of numbers on that page There's a lot of... in canada <laughs> yeah there you go so uh i thought i'd go through a few things and and uh one of the things i just thought i'd start with is talking about a tree so nice beautiful shot of a tree we just had you know, some beautiful days with nice hoar frost. And I took this picture. So this happens to be uh, a tree in my backyard. And, and the interesting thing about this story, Richard, is uh, I planted that tree. Okay. Yeah. So 2008, 
put that tree as just as a little sapling. And uh, I think it's done pretty well in well, the last well, 15 years. For our audio listeners, I'd say, I mean, we, we've got to be looking at, what, 25 feet, roughly, probably to the top of that thing right now? Yeah, because the fence is six feet, and it's, uh, it's well, yeah, so it's up that point. And, you know, the reason why I want to throw a tree into our discussion today is we use that tree analogy a lot about, you know, what's the best time to plant a tree? Well, it's 20 years ago, and the second best time is today. And what I really wanted to think about was, you know, most things in life, when you if you want to do something well, if you wanted to plant a tree and get fruit off it, well, you just can't, you know, you have to plan for that. You know, so you have to think about it. We put this tree in our backyard just for shade. Well, so if you're going to get an outcome, it's going to, you know, you have to think about how am I going to get that outcome. So I thought I'd throw the old tree out there and just, you know, everybody knows you can transplant a tree, but really what I'm trying to get to is if you want an outcome, you just have to be thinking about it. So one of the things when people hear about income splitting, they go, well, it's just for the older folks. It's like seniors. You got to worry about that. Well, it's not. Like you should be thinking about it. You should be planning for it well before you get to the age of uh, where most people think of income splitting. So... And there's something I threw in there. If you want to achieve a certain outcome, you have to plan for it. And I always love putting this comment in there, Richard. It all begins with the way you think. Well, I like how you planted uh, a tree for shade and then you waited 15 years to get your shade. So that's that's <laughs> definitely thinking in advance, Dan. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it is one of those things you, you're going to wait for it if you want it. So I thought we'd just get into the, what really is income splitting. And really, it's pretty straightforward. And it's just transfer of income from one high, you know, from a high income earner in your family to a lower income family member. So typically, it's between, you know, spouses or partners in a family that this happens. All about reducing the tax. You know, we we talk a lot about taxes, right? We got that great book that you and Henry and Jason put together about keeping taxes away from your wealth. Well, this is something I thought I would share with everybody. It's really the Income Tax Act. Who hasn't found that thing a little difficult to work with? And it's really got some you know, interesting attributes about it. In most cases, you know, they're going to try and push that income that you earn, you know, towards you. So if you're a higher income earner, they want you to pay based on your income. So they really try to chase, you know, where did that money come from? So it can be attributed back to you when you do certain things. You just have to be aware of that. But there is rules and opportunities to do income splitting that are legal and fit within the tax guidelines in our country. So just wanted to talk about a, a few of them as we go. Yeah, I think uh, Nelson used to say when he talked about the IRS tax code is that the, the first like seven pages define what income is. And yep. the, remain, the remaining 900 pages tell you all the exceptions to the rule in the first seven pages. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and it, that, you know, tax act just gets bigger and bigger all the time. Like, it is not. And that's the other thing, you know, you know I'm going to encourage everybody, if you get into doing income splitting, you know, make sure you talk to an accountant and just make sure you vet everything with them so that you're following those ever-changing tax laws. Like I always, I put in the bottom of these slides, just check with CRA for uh, 
for, you know, for the tax laws, because I want you to do that, because you know, I'm not a tax specialist. Yeah, I took this stuff off of CRA's website. That's where I got it. But anyhow, not... Uh, Surprisingly enough, uh, I don't think anyone really gets excited when they get a call from CRA, but in my experience, when I've actually called them, assuming I'm able to get through to a human being, um, I don't remember the last time that that happened, by the way, but I've always had a gr actually a great experience speaking to someone who works there. Um, they've they've always been very good at answering questions. And actually, often I found very good either advice or tips or direction. You know, a lot of the people that do work there, they're just like us. They, they That's their job. They do a great job at it. And they actually want to help other people. So that's been my experience personally. Uh, although that being said, I don't really want to get any more calls. And so I would be happy <laughs> if they found a way to lo lose my number, but uh, just, just throwing that out there. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I've got some great clients that work for CRA and I know they're good people and they're, they're no different than me. That's their job and they do it. So here's some of the options I just want to go through. And I just want to tell you all, there is other options. I'm just going to cover a few today, but the first one, Pension income splitting. That's what a lot of people think about right away when they think about income splitting. Next one is like spousal or partner RRSPs. You can actually do income splitting with that qualified plan being the RRSP. And I don't know how many people know about this. You can actually give funds to a family member who's at a lower income and they can invest it in a tax-free savings account if they have capacity in their tax-free savings account option. And then we're going to talk about this one. This is a little different one, but uh, it's just about a family uh, and how you could, you know, just think about things differently. So let's start with the old pension income splitting. Everybody loves this one. So really it's the, you know, transferring spouse or common law partner and the receiving spouse and common law can elect to uh, split the transferring spouses or common law's eligible pension income received in a year if all the conditions are met. Does that surprise you, Richard, there's conditions? Uh, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, I would imagine that, uh, you know, you probably need to, it's kind of like uh, you go to bake a cake and if you don't have all the ingredients, you're probably not going to be successful. And if you don't have a recipe, it probably isn't going to work. And it's kind of like, uh, well, if you want to save a little bit on tax, you, you kind of know where the, you need to know where the recipe is. So you know where yeah. all the conditions. When do you when do you mix it? When do you put the sugar in, and so on and so forth, so that you can you can end up with the result. In this case, it's a don't pay any tax cake. Well, uh, not yeah. pay your fair share tax cake. I would call it. Yeah, no, exactly. So you know there's going to be conditions. So let's just let's just talk about it. What these those look like. So you have to be basically living together. So even. If you're married but not living together, you want to check these, this one out pretty well. It's got pretty well worded. This is right off of the CRA site. Uh, you know, so you really got to be in a relationship with your spouse or common-law partner. And uh, it's got some very specific things about, you know, how long you could even be separated. So just be aware of this one. Uh, you know, I think I've talked about this before, what I've learned in life, Richard. It's always simpler if you're if you're married or living with your partner, just stay that way. Things seems a lot simpler. Yeah, just 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 keep it going. It's interesting <laughs> that uh, it says you have to be living you know with them at the end of the tax year and for a period of ninety days or more beginning uh, in the tax year. So there's kind of like a gap, I guess, in the middle where you could uh, take a hiatus, <laughs> I suppose. But 
You got to be yeah. there for the first 90 days. And you basically got to be there for the last. So spend the winter yeah. together. And then in the summers, you can do what you want, I, I yeah. suppose. But I don't know yeah. if that's what CRA is trying to incentivize, but. Yeah. True. They really, I think they're just trying to make sure that you're actually a couple. And it's, uh, you know, so that's why they've got that one condition in there. Currently, the next one is, is like, you got to be a resident of Canada on December 31st of the year. And even if, you know, if you're deceased, you had to be a resident of Canada at the time of your death. And in bankrupt in the year, you still had to be a resident of Canada on at the 31st of that year, at the tax year pre-slash post-bankruptcy end. So there's just a few things to really be aware of. And another one is, is that, you know, you receive pension income in the year that qualifies for the pension income amount, or you were 65 years of age or older and reserved and received a certain qualifying amount distributed from a retirement compensation arrangement. So, uh, you know, things I've learned, Richard, is that if, for example, I've got a RSPs, I still got them because I had them all before I knew about this concept. And so I still got RSPs and I've been, you know, melting them down slowly and, and moving them into my system of policies that I have. But I, but I still have them now, even though I'm 65, I can't income split with an RSP with my spouse. Uh, if I take money out of my RSP, it's all my income. Now, if I took that RSP and I changed it into a, a RIF, well, then you can do income splitting. So it has to be qualified. So you really have to, uh, you know, have the, the right uh, product, I guess is the right way to call it. So, uh, I think the oh. format is really the the focus being that it's it's income uh income taking versus uh I guess uh capital base depleting. You know, taking money out of the RSP, I guess, would be depleting the capital base um right. versus receiving it in its theoretical intended form, uh, which is as an income base. I guess yeah. that's probably the distinction I think they're going yeah. for. I think you're I think that's really good uh way to to describe that for sure. So, uh, yeah, so just be aware of that. And one of the interesting things about, uh, one of the interesting things about pension income splitting is there's actually, you know, if you have a spouse and that spouse is at a lower income level, you both can uh, claim this pension income amount, which is, uh, you know, it's like a $2,000 benefit for each of you and so when you are able to split, you both get to claim that. Uh, and it's just, you know, and it works really well if only one of you has a pension. And that's the case for for uh, for myself and my wife. I'm the one with the pension income. And so we get to utilize this process. Okay. So you, so you each get a, an allotment for uh, for a benefit amount that uh, can be utilized. And yeah. th this, this amount that you can claim, I guess, uh, for eligible pension the the advantage being that if if the pension's in your name and you're the only one that has one because you can split it there's an additional benefit that you can both use i mean probability is over over a course of a number of years dan in receiving that pension i mean that's probably going to add up to a fair degree of tax savings for you and your wife combined if you really think about it yeah no it's it's quite a 
quite a nice little thing for the people that qualify and are at that stage of life and and have this type of setup where you know one of you's got it, that pension income and the other one doesn't. That two thousand dollars can make, uh, like you say, a lot of difference over time. So that's that's what this is about. It's uh, it's really you know the way you can figure that out. It's gonna you just have to go and look for that on your actual return, and it yeah. So there's again work with an accountant. That's what you need to do, but be aware of this. This is an option because sometimes you need to have good conversations with your accountant to make sure they understand everything that you're doing. So. What are some of the eligible pension income? So it's any annuity type payments from a registered pension plan. So regardless of the age, so there is cases where you can be under 65 and still have a registered pension that qualifies. So again, what I'm going to you know basically direct you to do is, is refer to the CRA. Now, there's not a lot of people that have this option available to them. But again, if you are and do have a annuity type payment coming from a registered retirement pension plan, you can call qualify for income pension income splitting. And this is the one more people are familiar with, and that's where you have something like a retirement income fund or a life income fund, and you're 65 years of age or older, and you're drawing pension income out of those uh, products. So the other one I thought I'd jump into quickly is like spousal or partner RSPs. Now, again, we're talking about a tax qualified plan. So, you know, if you if there's a real variance in your family between who's, you know, different levels of income, only a higher income person can be buying spousal or partner RSPs. So, you know, some people are, you know, really focused on, you know, utilizing that deferred tax benefit and if you're you're one and you got you know something that you're passionate about and you have a situation where there's a you know marked difference between income levels between the two partners in that relationship well this is an option for you and again it, it just comes down to you know when you start taking out uh, funds later in life uh where's the income level going to be and which one would benefit so this is an option that you can do is uh is start a spousal or a partner or RRSP. Now, you've had some experience with this, I think, Dan, as well, uh, with you and your wife, Barb. Is that something you can maybe shed some light on for the listeners? Yeah, so I just, exactly, good point, Richard. So one of the things I wanted to point out is that if you haven't made a contribution into that spousal or partner RRSP uh, for three years, then that partner or spouse can take that income out and be taxed at their income level. So what that looks like is, you know, you know, I did this in my life, so with Butcher Mavis, I paid into a spousal RSP, and then we strategically, I stopped putting into that spousal RSP. I knew about the three-year rule, and, you know, I just... I was just looking at doing things and and I was looking at, you know, putting as much as I could into that spousal RSP for a while and then stop and, you know, just contribute to mine. And then after three years, and one thing's and another thing I've learned in life, Richard, is three years goes by pretty quickly. And then um, at the time, and it still is, my spouse, she could take that income out, take her 
her RSP out and it's taxed at her income level. So effectively, if you think about that, her income is really low. And so she would be, you know, quite a difference on the amount of tax at the end of the year when you did your tax calculation, even though with RSPs, they withhold, you know, based on the percentage of how much you're taking out. You know, if you're taking out more than 15,000, they're withholding 30% of it. And so that doesn't matter really at the end of the year. What really matters is when the tax calculations are all done, because you can actually get refunded part of that if your income was low enough to support a lower income. So we use that. That was an option. And, and people may not think about that because it does take planning. I go back to the, you know, that tree analogy. Like if you want something, you have to, you know, think about it and start putting in pieces in place to be able to do it. And and we did that purposefully, uh, just supported spousal RSPs and then stopped paying for three years. So my significant other, my dear wife, could take out income and be taxed at her level. Become your own banker and take back control over your financial life. Hey, is this even possible? You may be asking, can I even do this? Well, you better believe it. In fact, it's easy to get going. So easy that we've put together a free report, Seven Simple Steps to Becoming Your Own Banker. Download it right now. Go to sevensteps.ca. That's sevensteps.ca. Now let's get back to the episode. I try to call and I might not be getting this correct, but uh, I, for some reason I thought it was uh, three years from the, the time that it entered, but uh, you, you're probably correct. And I would just, again, encourage everyone to double check that, that it's three years from when you stop contributing to that account entirely. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, again, this is a situation where, you know, as anyone listening knows that, you know, my, at least myself personally, I'm not a big fan of the government sponsored programs. Sorry. Yep. It is what it is. Yep. Um, but a tool is a tool is a tool. And if a tool can fit a job and we know what, what it's going to do and we can be very intentional about the utilization of it, then everything's on the table. And so th this to me is a very strategic way of thinking about, okay, we're in a high income T4 type scenario. We don't have a lot of other levers that we can pull to create additional deductions. We know that we're going to have to pay tax anyway at some point in the future. <clears throat> If we can control to a high degree of certainty what that future outcome looks like, so we're not talking about the market risks or whatever here, but more so in the tax environment, if you know, uh, fundamentally, we have one person here that's earning very little money, and if I shove, hey, I put 30 grand a year into the spousal account for a couple of years, I have $100,000 that builds up in the account, I stop funding, three years goes by, we were going to have to get the money out eventually anyway, but now I can increase my timetable on when I take it out. We take out 30 grand a year yep. and we do that for three or four, you know, for three, four years. Yeah, we have to pay the withholding tax like you indicated, Dan, you're, 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 whatever the amount you take out, you pay the withholding tax value at that time. But then you settle up the tax bill at the end of the year. And if you're in a lower tax bracket, I mean, for you at the tax bracket you were at when you were doing this process, I suspect you were probably at a probably a 35% tax bracket or something. You know, it was it was it was probably not a very friendly level. You worked in the oil bit oil business. So 
I, I, I know the type of work that you were doing and I can picture what the salary was like. So I suspect that the differential between your, your tax rate and your wife's tax rate was a night and day difference. For your situation, yeah. because you were strategic, probability is you did save a lot in tax that way, which was clear because you knew what the exit looked like. So what I really want people to take away from this conversation is, yes, there's an income splitting strategy here, but it's also, if we're going to work with a tool like the registered plan, you have to really think through and consider who's going to end up taking the money out. Yeah. And if we, if the goal, if the quote unquote goal is to pay less in tax, if that's the true objective, you have to really consider who's going to, who's it, whose hands is it going to be taxed in? And I think that's fundamentally what you're driving at. Yeah, exactly. What hundred percent, Richard, that's who you want to focus on. And uh, you know, so we'll talk more about, you know, what we did with some of those funds when my dear wife took them out under her name and was taxed at her level. We just put them somewhere where, you know, it continued to work uh, for her and support our family the rest of our lives. But, you know, just give us that flexibility because, you know, we made a conscious decision as to who was going to take that income out. And yeah, and I, I put that income in through a spousal RSP. You know, again, go back and, and make sure you're talking to your accountants, check the tax laws, anything we're saying today. We're not tax experts. You know, I'm just describing what I've done and I you know I did follow the tax rules when I when I did it so but it's up to you everybody has a responsibility to inform themselves know what you need to know whenever you do anything because uh you know the, the tax rules are there for a reason and uh so you want to understand them and you want to work with them and not outside of them because we don't want to go there we don't, we don't we don't want to go there that's for nope. sure <laughs> yeah so that's this is really something that you know it from my understanding when i re research it really you had to stop for three years i i didn't contribute for three years before um my dear wife started taking any of those rsp funds out and so that's what i used in in my life so I thought I'd, you know, this one here, I don't know how many people know about it. It's kind of a different one, but you can, you know, if you're the higher income earner in your family and you have family members, such as your spouse or partner, uh, who are eligible to contribute to a tax-free savings account, but don't have the significant funds or cash flow to do, you may wish to gift them funds. But the key thing is, is that you know, if you you do that, they you need to put it into a tax-free savings account. They can't just do it in a non-registered kind of fund. So this is another one where I'm going to encourage everybody to know the tax laws. So you don't want to get yourself out, you know, out of bounds in any way in time. But this is just an opportunity that, you know, that person can fund their tax-free savings account and it can grow their tax-free. But again, this one, you want to check with your accountant and know what you're doing so there will be no attrition or income on gains while the funds are invested in the plan and your family member will enjoy tax-free investment income while those funds are invested so it's in the tax-free savings account i got to emphasize that higher income earner pays all the expenses so this is something not rocket science this is a pretty pretty basic uh 
idea. So it's very simple, but highly effective. And that's where, you know, if there's two of you and you're both earning income, let's just use hypothetical numbers. One's earning a hundred thousand, the other one's earning 30,000. Well, if you're in a family, if you can do this, again, it's all based on what's reality for your family. If the person that has the hundred thousand of income can pay all the expenses and the lower income earner can and take what they have for take home and invest it in something like a non-registered income producing uh, vehicle of some sort, well, then that income is going to be taxed in their at their income level versus at the higher income level. So again, it's just all about planning and thinking through things on how could you do this as a family and you know set yourself up for success. So all those non-registered uh, tools that you have, vehicles that you have that are bringing in income for that lower income spouse is gonna be taxed at their level and it's still family income. Now, I, I still go back and we talked about this earlier, Richard, it's, it works really good if you stay together. Not so good if you don't. <laughs> so uh, kind of a, a key element there, but uh, that's just one a lot of people wouldn't have thought about is like, can we do this? And again, if you're spending everything you're both making to live, you know, you don't have no money to invest. Well, you can't really use that technique because you just don't have the capability at that point. Yeah. And uh, time often opens up doorways to create the capability that you're looking for. But uh, you could speed that capability along by focus, uh, having clear defined goals uh, that are well, well, well clarified yep. and, uh, and then putting in the work. I mean, uh, yep. you could be amazed what you can get done if you just put in the work. Yeah. Again, it all goes back to, you know, all the way you think and the way you plan. And uh, so this is one I, I you know a lot of people wouldn't have thought about, but uh, it is something to think about if you're in that position or, you know, one of you is a higher income earner and the other one's a lower income earner. And you actually, you know, again, are going to do something where you want to invest in non-registered kind of income functions or vehicles. Well, this is something for you to think about. Things I wanted to really help, you know, have people think about, you know, as you think about doing this, what are some things you need to consider? Uh it's true that you can use these methods to re reduce your total tax for a couple or a family. But what happens when, you know, one of you graduates and, you know, from life? So you have to think about all those things. How do we set this up so taxes won't be a, a huge burden? And where this comes from, Richard, is like I've known of those cases where, you know, a couple were, did very well and they set up a really good plan where they were doing income splitting later in life and they had a lot of non-registered kind of income coming into their family and then one of them passed and then whew, all of a sudden the tax bill goes way up because that same amount of income was coming in and then there's just one of them and so no longer able to do income splitting so it's it's just things you need to think about and we'll we'll expand on that a little more and then again we've already talked about this it's always something I don't like to bring it up, but it's really anytime uh, I always encourage people, you know, you should be able to talk about this with your partner or your spouse and make sure that, you know, this is something you haven't, you know, 
as a consideration. You always want to be thinking about those things. So the other thing I wanted to throw out there, well, where is there another way to do it? Now, here's a question I have for you, Richard. I put it up there. Could the higher income earning spouse or a partner paid premiums on a dividend paying whole life policy for the lower income earning spouse or partner? Think that's doable? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it happens, I think, I think it happens all the time, most of the time. I mean, it's 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 much more common to see uh, a differential in spousal income, I think, than it is to see things being similar or or equal. I, I don't I don't have very many people that I I serve and help that have similar incomes. I mean, they're all over the map, and quite commonly, it's no different than my own situation and 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 yours, Dan, uh, in your in your younger days. Uh, your your wife was uh, taking care of the real work, making sure yep. that your kids exactly. uh, survived on a day by day basis. Yep. Things like feeding them, apparently, that's really important. That's like what I find out from my wife, anyway. Yep. Um, at least I find out when uh, when she's she's gone away for a couple of days, and I'm responsible for all the things that she does, yep. and I have to fumble my way through it. And supposedly, I do an okay job because my kids are still here, but uh, some days I really do wonder. Um, anyhow, so, you know, I, I'm in that same boat where, you know, my wife primarily is is taking care of raising our children and doing an amazing job at that. So we have that same situation. And yeah, I'm the one that contributes to to the premiums uh, on on her policy that we own policies that we own personally as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that's exactly right. That's very similar to my case. You know, uh, my wife did the real work. I was just the one that got paid for the work I did. And, you know, and uh, yeah, she, exactly right. And. So a lot of things in life and including, you know, when we started to, you know, pay premiums on our policies, I was the high income earner and, and, you know, just, you can use the third party payer. You just have to state who and, you know, the relationship and that is an option for people to consider. And so what would be the advantages? Think of some of those advantages uh, for a family, Richard, if, you know, someone had a dividend paying whole life insurance policy that, you know, the higher income was planned for, but the other person owned it. And what does an owner have for control? The Over owner has yeah, access to the the, the pol uh, policy loans and, you know, any changes that need to be made to the policy, et cetera. I mean, obviously, uh, again, like in, in, in conjunction with good communication, I mean, there's a lot of opportunities that come there. I mean, a lot of people that we work with, they, they look at things kind of more from a family system perspective anyway, yep. but uh, yeah, I mean, like it could, it could be whatever, like, you know, a, a spouse has got to spend money on all kinds of things. They need, they need clothes. They got to go get their hair done. They need to do all, all number of things, you know, household living, whatever. And that could be a, an engine to be able to operate a lot of that kind of household activity and, and annual spending and do that from a vehicle that's, we're taking the dollars and before those dollars are going to fund all the things they could be going into the system that allows the things that are going to be funded from that point forward. So there's always a growth mechanism that's taking place while also creating more protection for the family right. as a whole. So to, to me, that's a very sensible way of looking at it, especially if we're being intentional, you know, say, Hey, we can estimate that spending for this partner over the course of the year for things that they're going to be tackling, whether it's groceries and the car repairs, like whatever, what, all those things, whatever they are, Hey, that's 30 grand a year. Well, we, we're going to be putting 30 grand a year somewhere. We might as well put it into the policy first, and then we can build up a reserve so that we can create the environment that we want uh, on a longevity basis. The, the other key thing too with uh, policy, Dan, I think it's important to understand is 
when the time comes and someone wants to exercise the option to utilize them for passive income type strategy, there are different ways to do that. Most commonly, people will look at a collateral type arrangement where they're going to be able to access that capital on a, on a tax-free basis, um, whether it's using a third-party lender or, or there's some other kind of ways of looking at it. And when you consider everything you shared about income splitting, especially around like the pensions, so our RIFs, uh, pensions, even CPP is on the list of things that can be income split. So often if you've got a situation where one partner was maybe staying at home with the kids for a number of years and the other one was earning a larger income, they'll have a larger CPP base to work from of income as well. So the ability to split that goes a long way. And so if you have these layers stacked together, well, now if you're also able to access some tax-free capital from your policy system, you're not increasing income in those later years which could then create clawback situation on things like your old age security. So the, the income splitting capacity that you've discussed today goes directly to the, the ability to maintain and keep more of the OAS capacity that you might be able to receive before clawback. So these are all like little levers and they might seem small, but when you put them together, they can create a really big impact year by year. And if you think about that over a 15, 20 year horizon, uh, you know, retirement horizon or what have you, we could be talking about a really substantial amount of savings just by implementing some of these basic things that you've told us about today. Yeah, that's a hundred percent. And, uh, you know, the thing I, you know, I, I thought of as you were speaking there, Richard was, uh, you know, so a lot of times and, you know, people will focus on, you know, get later in life. And if you're not collaterally assigned your policy and you're taking, income out which you could through policy loans and it's the you know the lower income earner for the life you know as your partnership grew over years and that person has a much lower income even in at that point in time and they start taking out policy loans that go above the adjusted cost basis they're going to be taxed at a different rate than someone has this pension that they're pulling from and getting all this income out of so there's there's, there's a lot of things to think about. The other thing you mentioned there was uh, CPP. So you can't actually can't actually split CPP, but you can share uh, CPP. So it's slightly different. I just want uh, people to be aware that when it comes to the Canadian pension plan, if you have it and you got a lower income spouse, you can share that income with your other spouse. It's a little different terminology. And just go and again, talk to your accountant about what those things all mean. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, so we talked about this. Uh, there's lots of options for the owner of the policy and the way they choose to use it. And again, you know, this is one thing that me and my wife are, are working on. So we both have policies. And, you know, so I'm thinking about, well, who whose policy are we going to take the value out of if we're not going to put it back? So later in life, we're gonna, whose policy are we going to start taking uh, you know, some of that cash value out for, you know, supporting our our lifestyle later in life. Well, it's going to be mine because statistically, my wife's going to outlive me. You know, her mother lived to be 100. So I, I think we've got a good chance that she's going to outlive me. And so then if I graduate my policy and she's got, and we've been using the, you know, amount available cash value available in her policy, well, she can just replenish that with my tax-free death benefit and just it just works good for the family. So there's lots of things to think about. And uh, 
you know, that's what I was going to share with everybody today is, you know, there, it all comes down to just, you know, taking time, educating yourself, thinking about what you could do, and then planning for it. Because if you don't plan, you get to a point, we've, we've both seen that, where someone's got to a point in life and they haven't thought about planning for, you know, things down the road, well, it just puts them at a disadvantage and you don't want to have that disadvantage. So those are just some of the ideas, Richard, I wanted to run through with everybody about, you know, income splitting. And again, I just want to emphasize, make sure you talk to your accountant before you do anything when it comes to uh, income splitting to make sure that you're following uh, CRA guidelines. Yeah, I would add to that. And, you know, don't, don't wait to have that conversation. Right. When uh, the end of the tax year is December 31, and I don't know about you, Dan, but uh, I find generally on December 31, I've got other plans. Um, yeah. Typically, that whole last two weeks, there, there seems to be some things that keep showing up in my calendar, like Christmas concerts and whatever that I have to deal with. And yeah. I don't know about your wife, but she probably plan, you know, maybe she makes like a cheese ball and a platter every once in a while, and you have some people gather around and you snack exactly. and, you know, you have some turkey. So, like, there's a lot of activity, and it's not really the right time to be putting your focus and your energy on having a conversation with your accountant. Yep. It's also not the right time to have that conversation in April when your taxes are being filed for the previous year and you're asking them about the previous year. Now, it might not be a bad idea somewhere between January and April to start talking to them about the current year. So start having those conversations, put, put it in your calendar, make it part of your 2024 goals and your planning to actually sit down and think about your tax planning. Consider, what do I anticipate my income is going to be this year? What, where do I actually think it's going to land? What are some things that we could do now in preparation for that? Not a lot of people ask those questions. And just this, the beginning of that process is going to start opening new doorways for you about what you might do. The other thing, Dan, I really appreciate you said is, again, you, you considering the idea that, okay, maybe Dan's going to be the first one out the door. And therefore, there's going to be a payout event and Barb's going to be able to have some capital and to work with, et cetera. You know, so there, there's many ways of considering how how to look at that. You you know, a, another way, again, so for me, I have policies on my kids. And Dan, I know you've got some policies on your kids and grandkids as well. Uh, I plan on using my kids' policies. They don't know that yet. I mean, they're, my son's going to be eight next week. Like, he doesn't know. He doesn't even know what a policy is. He understands we have a family banking system. He doesn't know a lot about it, but we're going to be spending some time on that next year. And, uh, you know, as he grows up, he's going to learn more and more about these things. He's going to learn about taking loans. He's going to learn about paying them back. He's going to learn all those components, but I'm going to use the policy. I'm the one putting all the money in. I'm going to get my money back up. And I expect that they will have learned that they need, how they need to deal with that. So when dad's gone, there'll be a payout of money. My wife will have instructions through the will and through through other means that will say, hey, you should pay off these policy loans first. Yep. Then you're going to do, you're, here's a list of things that I have in mind for you to do. And you'll be able to access the money again for as long as you're still here, assuming that I go first, which is probably the scenario. I do tend to do some dumb things. So uh, uh, it's, I mean, hey, life is life, Dan. I mean, you yep. know, if, you, if you've got the scars to prove it, you know that you've done some dumb things in the past. The probability that I'm going to be mindful of all those things in the future is not all that high, and I might do something dumb in the future as well. So I suspect I'm going to go first. And yeah, absolutely, there's going to be a payout event, and we want to make sure that there's there's 
continuity in the thinking process of how we can make that continue to go around. The other thing that's nice about uh, the way that we're planning here with insurance is that there will be a secondary event and that secondary event will be for my wife. Well, when that happens, if the kids' policies have another loan on them outstanding because she's been using them again, they all get retired again and they're replenished. Well, at that point in time, my kids could be in their 60s. Well, when that happens, that's like going backwards 60 years and getting a brand new policy and backdating it 60 years. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's it's unfathomable how powerful that could be. You can't True. you can't do that with an RSP. You can't backdate RSP contributions sixty years, can you? No, no, no. You can't you can't income split them sixty years in the past. None nope. of those other things you can do. The only place you can do that is really with a piece of life insurance. But you have to have it set up sixty years ago. Well, we've yep. already done that. Yeah. And if you haven't done that and you're listening, then you should probably think about it. It's not a bad idea. <laughs> exactly. Good point. Love that one. Well, this was a lot of fun, Dan. I appreciate it. Thank you for sharing some of your knowledge. More importantly, your your stories and your experience of, of what you've already done and accomplished in your own life. I think it's very helpful for people to see that and, and go through the experience through the eyes of another. So I appreciate you uh, and all the value you bring to our team. Thank you so much. And for those of you watching on YouTube, bam, check it out right down or down below. There's another beautiful video. It's saying, watch me, watch me, please. <laughs> go ahead. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Without Bay Street podcast, where your wealth matters. Be sure to check out our social media channels for more great content. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player and be sure to rate the show. We definitely appreciate it. And don't forget to share this episode with someone you care about. Join us on the next episode where we continue to uncover the financial tools, strategies, and the mindsets that maximize your wealth.